In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. Ben Grant joined by JB. We've got a huge show for you because the Argos are back after their last bye week until uh, maybe maybe the playoffs. Maybe they can secure that that one more bye week, that, that magical fourth bye week. But we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, especially with regards to playoff picture, injury reports. There's a signing this week. Demontre Moore signed a defensive lineman who we think is going to play on the end. And we'll talk about that a little bit, break him down. Plus, we've got the full injury report for both Ottawa and Toronto. OCDC, one thing, predictions, fantasy advice, and our world-famous CFL picks. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. All right, let's get into this new signing. Demontre Moore. So, JB, when this signing was announced, I immediately assumed the worst. I thought when this signing uh, came into my email, I, I thought immediately, oh man, this must mean that Shane Ray is out for the season. Because this is a, it's you know, it's a player we've heard of. It's, it's a guy with... With NFL experience, 10 years of, of NFL experience, basically. 30 years old, though, so it's not like he's he's 35 or something coming in. And I, I'm happy to report Shane Ray is 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 well. Uh, he's, he's fine. He's out there practicing, looking good. And so this is a, another nice piece to add to an already strong positional group. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, I, I assume he is friends with somebody on the Argos. And, you know, they basically convinced him, you come up here, let's go for a playoff run, let's try and win this championship. Um, he's a great addition. I mean, if you put him into the rotation, you let him play 15, 20 times a game, um, you know, give a couple couple of um, pass rushes on obvious pass rush downs, and, you know, he's big enough to be able to hold his own against the run. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a great addition. He doesn't need to be the fastest guy in the world to be a useful depth addition. And if he still can, you know, be elite for five rushes a game, uh, I love it. I mean, to, to sign a 10-year NFL veteran, like you say, he's not 35. Like, to sign a 10-year NFL veteran is a good signing and I think a, a good sign of the mood on the team if indeed there there, there has to be some connection to him through the team or through a coach to to give him a call and for him to come. So I think that, you know, this speaks to the optimism of the guys that uh, they're like, hey, man, get in on this. What I also like about this signing is that when you sign a guy that has played in the NFL for that long, he's he's made some money. And so what that tells you is that this isn't about that this is about someone that loves playing football this is somebody who wants to play more football wants to go after a championship wants to win and so to me you you anytime you get a guy like this to sign it's a it's a really good it's a really good sign just to the fact that that he's he's not after a paycheck or anything like that and that's you know usually not why you come to the cfl but it's it's probably not him looking to get back into the nfl through this either i think this is him just feeling like he's got more football left in him and and he wants to play some more, and and yeah, it'll be great to see him out there. Just to give you a little bit of a rundown in him, I I started usually when the, we bring in new players, I start with college film. I did go back to a little bit of it, but it's so long ago. You know, he's he played in in 2012, and so I watched a little bit of it, but I had forgotten some things. So he was, so he played at Texas A and M. He was actually behind Von Miller in what would have been i guess his what would have been his freshman season he was behind von miller and uh ended up uh the next year really tearing it up he he destroyed everybody uh in his in his in his draft year and uh, ended up being a third round draft pick by the the new york giants uh bounced around after his contract was done there played on seven different teams he never seemed to quite stick anywhere he was being used as a rotational piece uh, everywhere after that New York Giants stop where he's he's getting, you know, 200 snaps a, a season, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, looking back at the most recent playing time. So he was on he was on the I think it was on the Panthers last season, but he didn't get any playing time. His last playing time was 2020. So that is a little bit of a red flag because it has been a couple of years. But 
2020 film looks good. He only had 184 snaps, but this is what I got out of uh, watching some of those. So the first thing is that he can play on both sides, which I love. So uh, that versatility is is extremely useful. So he can go in regardless of the situation. Doesn't have to be a right side edge rusher or left side edge rusher. He can play both sides. He still had really nice burst and really good pursuit. Like he still got a high end motor that was there. What has faded a little bit? I don't really like him as a run stopper, but I'm okay with that. That's that's you know probably why he's not in the NFL anymore is that he just wasn't reliable enough against the run but that's perfect for the cfl uh, he's not a, an ideal nfl defensive lineman but you know at at 6'4 260 he was sort of you know on the edge there but that's that's a great that's a great size and weight for the cfl because you can you've got some flexibility there he's probably playing on the edge but if you want to in pass rush uh downs if you if you want to put him on the inside and just sort of create a dynamic set out there and really be really be sort of multiple with with what you can do on that D-line. That's kind of exciting. So I could see him used that way as well. So all in all, I'm really excited about the signing. Can't wait to see him. I don't think he's been assigned a number yet. And I didn't notice him at practice. So um, I'll be be looking out for that. And whenever he he joins the team, whenever he gets into the game. uh, Yeah, I can't wait to see what he does. The last bit I'll say on him is, you know, not that playing in the NFL assures of success, but most guys coming up, our practice squad, cup of coffee, you know, USFL, XFL, all elite athletes, but not logging really significant NFL time. And the fact that he has logged decent NFL time, I think speaks to the level of athlete that he is. So I think that's pretty exciting. Let's get into the playoff picture as things stand now. It, it seems so it seems so weird to think that the Argos are potentially able to secure a playoff spot this weekend. I don't, I, I don't know why. It doesn't feel like it's that late in the year to me. I know we've been running for a while now. Where, you know, where where feels like a long time. Feels feels like a long time in some ways. But yeah, week sixteen though, like week yeah. sixteen coming up. Amazing. Uh, I don't know if it feels like week sixteen, but yeah, with with a win over Ottawa this week and a Tiger Cats loss. The Argos clinch a playoff berth. Now, that's not first place. That's still going to have to happen down the road, and maybe they can earn that by. I do think that's extremely important. But yeah, there's there's a chance of them at least clinching a playoff spot. It's so strange to look at the standings right now because the odds are, just realistically looking at this, it's probably just going to be Toronto and Montreal in the East. And everyone but Edmonton in the West. That's probably how it shakes down. Now, things can turn a bit sideways this weekend if Hamilton beats Montreal. And I don't really want that to happen. I'm I'm a little nervous about what I saw from Hamilton last week. I did predict them beating the Bombers. I just felt like it was a perfect storm last week. I, I did see that coming, but I didn't expect them to look as strong as they looked. And it made me a little nervous because this... I just hope Dane Evans hasn't turned into the Hulk Hogan that starts wagging his finger and there's nothing you can do to stop him at that point. So I'm a little nervous about that. So Hamilton goes out and beats Montreal this weekend. Suddenly that's a machine I'm not sure I want any part of. They look so terrible and so done with the season a few weeks ago. Last week was unsettling, I'll say. Yeah, and come on. I I don't want to play Hamilton anymore. Enough. (laughs) Like, look at how many games in the last two years we've played Hamilton. It's like, like you know, it's like my Edmonton-Ottawa joke. It's like a two-team league. No more Hamilton games for at least one year. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with that. But yeah, I just... That's the only thing that would really mess that up. Now, I still think Toronto's got enough of a cushion. You you can never be totally comfortable, but I feel like this is pretty close to being a lock in terms of uh, wrapping up the East Division. I, I would see that happening in a few weeks' time. The West is really interesting. Winnipeg, obviously, is, is already in cruise control, but BC can clinch a playoff spot with a win this week over Calgary. And if that happens, that's going to uh, kind of paint an interesting picture for, for Calgary because they'll be in a little bit of a... A, a tailspin, which they've done already this year after they're after you know getting swept by Winnipeg, so that would obviously put them in a situation. Saskatchewan 
they're off this week, but they really just need, they've only got four games left. And if they can just sort of play 500, uh, they're going to have that big game against Hamilton, of course, that will probably determine once and for all the crossover. But yeah, I just, the way, looking at all the team schedules, what they've got remaining, I just think unless Hamilton goes on fire, which again is possible, then I think it's it's going to be almost status quo as the standings are now where you've got Winnipeg, BC, Calgary, Saskatchewan, and then Toronto and Montreal in the East. Now, things can still happen. Toronto finishes the year with back-to-backs against Montreal. There's still a lot of football to be played. There's still a third of the season left for the Argos because they've already used up all their bye weeks. There's still six games to go, but uh, hopefully they can put themselves in a situation where those last couple of games against Montreal don't really matter anymore. And that would be the only reason to cheer for Hamilton this week is that even though the Argos wouldn't clinch a playoff spot, if Toronto can win this week and Hamilton also wins, now you've got a three-game cushion over both Montreal and Hamilton. And it's and, and you've got a tiebreaker currently over both of those teams. So that would put them basically a three and a half game lead with with five games to go is is pretty secure. So that's that's the only reason to cheer for Hamilton. But honestly, I just want Hamilton out of there. So I would love to see I'd love to see Montreal win that game. Let's stop worrying about Hamilton and uh, just focus on that end of season back to back against Montreal. Let's get into this injury report. Uh, it's still <laughs> it's still, you know, it, it, it's looking at this week to week. I think of this as positive, but you, I, I keep forgetting how many guys are on that six-game injury list. And there are a few of them coming back soon or at least eligible to come back. Some that I don't think we're going to see. Some we, uh, we are probably going to see. But like I said off the top, walking into Argo's practice, the three guys I was looking for, I was concerned, of course, Dijon Allen. That's a guy I wanted to see out there. Enoch Mwamba, obviously. And and I think most of all, Shane Ray. And the reason most of all, not because he's the most important of those three. In fact, I'd probably, you know, they're all really important players. I'd probably put him third just because there are other defensive linemen you can go to. There isn't a replacement for Enoch Mwamba. There isn't really a replacement for Dijon Allen. Like there, there are people on the roster that are going to play, but they're not the same. There's a, there's a drop off. And so uh, I'm thrilled to see Dijon Allen out there, at least limited, even though he's not practicing full the way that he has gone when he's limited he plays he just doesn't miss he's extremely tough extremely durable I I don't know how many more weeks in a row they're going to be able to tape him back together at the end of games because it just feels like every week there's he barely makes it through but you have to give him credit for being able to get back out there and then Shane Ray was practicing full he looked he looked a hundred percent so between those two guys that was great Enoch Mwamba uh not out there and not able to practice with what's being listed as an abdomen injury. I had thought it was back just watching him leave the field in Ottawa. It looked like a back injury to me. Abdomen injury. How are you feeling about this at this point? I I don't think he plays this week. Uh, Whether or not he would be able to, I don't know. I can't say. But I just think the smart thing to do would be to sit him for as long as you possibly can because you're not going anywhere in the playoffs likely without Enoch Mwamba. But I think you can win enough games down the stretch without him, if need be. Are you on board with that? Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I mean, I wouldn't play him. Um, I think it gives you an opportunity to give the kids some reps. Obviously, they're not going to be Moamba. We saw that last game uh, in terms of the middle of the field coverage. But it's an advantage, I think, to be able to have some of your twos get a chance to be ones and and develop some skill and develop some some real-time reps as long as you can keep chugging along and it doesn't it doesn't you know create a uh, a crisis situation so we'll see how ottawa's game goes but in yeah in a perfect world y- you you can you can live with being at 75 percent as a team if you can still you know, get a couple of wins because really they're only a couple of wins away from clinching this thing. They don't they don't need to go any better than 500, to be honest. So if if, if they can get him healthy, that's more important than, you know, winning 11 games because I don't think they need to. I, I think, yeah, I think 10 wins the division. I think nine might actually yeah, win the ten, division. I, mean, I think 10 wins it for sure. 
yeah. nine probably ends up winning it. But uh, that's where I, I think this game is important, but I think they can win this game without Moamba. But it'll be tougher without Moamba. But I, I think that they're, they're still, you know, it's not, I don't think it's, it's do or die. There was a fullback on the Argos practice field today. Declan Cross, back from his ankle injury, was able to go full today. That's that's huge news for so many reasons. I, It worked out well. They went on a winning streak without dressing a fullback. I, I think that's amazing to win three games in a row with no fullbacks on your roster. Uh, but it's just not... It's just not the best way to play football. It really limits what you can do. When you can only go into that five wide look, it's it's not great. Uh, and I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the the two running back sets that we saw a little bit of. So happy to have Declan Cross back in there. So I expect him to play this week. Uh, still nothing from Joe Carbone. This will be if he doesn't play this week. I think that's his fourth straight game. He hasn't been put on the sixth game. So you have to think they expect him to come back soon. They probably. I would guess they would have expected him to be back practicing by now, but with a calf injury, you never know. They're, they're really tough to gauge. So just based on him not being out there at all today, I, I got to think that that's probably a no from him this week, and we'll see Declan Cross. They haven't really been into dressing two fullbacks most of the time anyway, so it's likely uh, they're likely going with, with two or three running backs and, and Declan Cross this week. A new name on the injury list is John Haggerty, who didn't practice today with a hip injury it's worrying because Haggerty's been a great punter all year, but at least you've got Boris Beattie there. And that's the beautiful thing about having Beattie is that he can step in there and be a perfectly fine punter uh, while kicking field goals. And that frees up another roster spot somewhere else. So in a way, I'm okay with that. And I would play that safe too. If you've got Haggerty with a hip injury and you're not sure, sit him. Let him sit for a game. Let Beattie punt. It's not like he hasn't been out there punting all year. He punts in every practice. He punts pregame. Uh, you know, he's it's, he's not forgotten how to do it. So I would for sure sit John Haggerty and just let Boris Beattie do both. Dress someone somewhere else where you can, especially if you're down Enoch Mwamba, maybe you can go a little heavier at linebacker um, and take some special teams reps away from from some of those guys. Like, uh, I don't like to take them away from Hoyt and Kassar, but maybe you have to if they're going to be, they're going to be playing a lot more snaps at linebacker. Other injury news, Javon Leak was limited with the hamstring injury. Again, another guy that I probably don't rush back this week. So maybe I just go with maybe I just go with the two two running backs uh, at, at this stage. And uh, great to see Robert Priester back going full. And we're just a week away, I believe, from Shaq Richardson being able to return to the team. And so and I expect him to be on schedule. He was out with that groin injury. So I would expect him to come back next week and with Priester ready to go I expect Priester to be out there this week that that defensive secondary is about to get a, a huge boost now not quite ready to get a boost yet is the O-line Peter Nicastro is eligible to come off the sixth game for the second time this year this is his second six game stint and uh, he's he's not out there practicing he's not I, I don't think he's I still don't think he's anywhere near being ready to return I maybe maybe I'll, I'll be wrong and be surprised by that but I just don't think that's on the horizon but what we are going to see this week is whether or not he goes back on that six game because if they put him back on the six game this week he's out for another six well that's that's the season that's the full 18 games and I don't think at that stage you're bringing him in cold into what will hopefully be the eastern final at that point so I think we'll find out in just a few days time whether or not we're going to see Peter Nicastro at all in 2022. Uh, and uh, no, uh, not eligible to return back yet, uh, Cage and Tate. And I don't know what to make of either of those situations either until we, we see a little bit more. But I, I certainly haven't seen enough to, to make anything of it at this point. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, that's up in, I guess that's up in, in two weeks time. So we'll, we'll get a sense of that soon. On the Ottawa side, they've really got nothing. It's Sherrod Baltimore is probably going to be out again this week. I think that's good news for the Argos. I still like Sherrod Baltimore as a corner, and I think not having to go against him is is great, but pretty much everyone else uh, is healthy, practicing full, and, and ready to go. So they're going to be pretty much the same Ottawa team we saw two weeks ago. It's time for OCDC. All right, JB, let's start it off with you. This is a weird one because it's not your normal back-to-back. 
usually the test in back-to-back games is that you've only got four days to sort of come up with a new plan, put something together for for the following week. And that's, Coach Dinwiddie's been remarkably good at back-to-backs over the the two years that he's been head coach of the Toronto Argonauts. Um, And this will be a very different test. And I don't think I've ever in my life seen a football schedule go like this, where it's, uh, you know, Toronto at Ottawa, for example, like this, a bye week for both teams, and then everyone right back to the same city, same stadium. And and that's what we've got here for this weird back-to-back. I don't really know how to gauge it. Do you approach this the same way that you do a regular back-to-back with, you know, a, a, just one week separating the games? Yeah, even with the with the bye week, they're, they're not going to be able to... First of all, you're not going to be able to do tons of installation on a bye week because a bye week is a break. Um, so you're, you're not going to be able to do radical changes to, to what you're going to do with it. You might see some tendencies that you, you play with a little bit, but I'm, I'm not expecting anything really very different from Ottawa. I mean, if, if they could be a radically different team, they, they probably have, you know, more than more wins than they have. So, um, you know, I'm I'm expecting a very similar experience if if they go with uh, Arbuckle at, at quarterback again. So, what's your plan for the Ottawa defense? If we're going to start it off there, you're looking to shut down Toronto. Uh, how do you do it this week? Yeah, I I would definitely get all over Alette. I think you can't let him have any free releases. You can't let him be a checkdown release for McLeod. Um, so I'm, you know, as a standard operating, you know, I'm just on him coming out of that backfield. I'm following him when he leaks out. I'm, I'm just taking that away from him playing tight man defense on the receivers and, you know, basically daring Toronto to run man beaters and the offensive, you know, the, the Ottawa defensive line is very good, um, you know, Malden is especially good. Um, I'm coming after McLeod. I, I, I don't see what has changed really from where Ottawa beat Toronto. Um, they just seem to have moved away from that game plan. And then the same thing that Calgary did. I think you you want to um, pressure, 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 tight, 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 man. Defense be all over the check down and get into McLeod and don't let him get into... Um, a, a pattern or a routine because once he gets going he can really he can really get going so uh, it, I, I, I would do that again I, I'm not worried about the run at all if he wants to run for 40 yards let him let him run for 40 yards but I'm not going to let him catch anything and uh, I'm going to force I'm going to force McLeod to try and uh, beat me deep and you know if he can beat me deep you know I'll tip my hat to him but I, I don't think he can he has been able to connect with some more consistency on deep balls, but they haven't been perfect in stride passes for the most part, with, with the exception of a couple corner routes that he hit a few weeks ago uh, that were just beautiful. The, those go routes, they they have been connecting, but they've been just a little bit behind receivers having to wait and come back it, to it. Uh, Curly Gittins Jr. had one in so the last It's so hard game. to be a good deep ball thrower from the pocket. Like if you watch, like for example, Claris, like a lot of his deep passes are on the run. Um, where you know coverage breaks down and, and deep coverage breaks down, and just to line up and hit guys forty yards down the field from the pocket um, without a double move or an absolute bust is pretty damn hard. So that that's what I'm banking on. I'm I'm banking on him not being able to do that. And just to add into that, because I the film session that I'm just starting to work on from the last game is about Curly Gittins Jr. And in that film session, I'm talking a little bit about how he was schemed open so much. He had such a huge game against Ottawa last time out. And one of the ways was was being able to change that release point a little bit. McLeod hit him for a pass on the run. And we talk a little bit about why that makes a difference. And for a DB, you know, having, having coached DBs, like when the ball is coming from a different place, it makes that so much more difficult. So, you know, open in the CFL doesn't, like unless it's a bust, open is maybe just a yard or two, but DBs with long arms can get in there, tip the ball away. It is hard to complete those deep passes. But when you've got a quarterback rolling out and you change the launch point, 
now suddenly that's not what the ball's not coming from where the defender's expecting it to come from and it makes it much harder to make a defensive play and so that's why you the Calaris passes you talk about they're not guys that are wide open but that ball's coming in from a different spot the db's not in the in the best position to make a play no exactly that's that's really where the mobility more than you know running for first downs the lack of mobility just demands <laughs> just takes away such a margin of error on those deep passes that uh, it it's really asks a lot in terms of placement um, when you're in the pocket and you're throwing a deep pass especially if they're playing like a cover two shell looking at the ottawa offense for this week my plan is going to be based on picky on the middle of the field I don't expect to see Enoch Mwamba. I think Ottawa is probably coming into this game not expecting to see Enoch Mwamba. And if they do, it's not going to be Enoch at 100%. And so I still stick with this game plan. I think you pound middle run and get as much mileage out of that as you can and really force the young linebackers that are going to be in for, for Enoch to account for the run. Force them to abandon uh, fanning out and and getting back in a pass coverage and really open up that underneath hole area, which is in turn going to force what happened in the last game. I I thought the Argos made a really nice in-game adjustment last time when they had Kassar and Hoyt playing at that max spot. They did have to compensate for the run. They did have to uh, basically play run and sort of think past second. And so what the Argos did in game is they they walked Mechie down. He closed down. He was playing, he usually plays deep middle. That's almost always his assignment on, on any given defensive play for the Argos. But they were instead walking him down because he had to kind of cover an area of the field that I, I think probably Coach Mace didn't want his middle linebackers having to worry about too much. And so I think you take advantage of that too. So you're looking at posts, you're looking at, any of your middle of the field open concepts uh, you're trying to hit now. And you can really put a lot of stress on Mechie if he's coming down like that and you start running high lows on him. I think that can can put him in conflict and, and you know, get him trying to trying to do somebody else's job and then getting caught and getting beat himself. So my whole game plan this week, pound the ball up the middle, draw those young linebackers in and then really stress Royce Mechie over the top. And force him to choose. Is he going to stay back deep and prevent the the home run ball, the, the the post down the middle? In which case, you take advantage with those digs, those those digs in behind the linebackers. Or if he's going to come down to cut those off, then you go over top. And those combos that you know post from the inside seam route uh, from the you know the post from the number three seam from the number two stuff like that that are really going to stress Royce Mechie is is probably going to be a staple for me if I'm running the Ottawa offense this week. All right, switching to the good guys, JB, where are you going with the Argonauts defense? Yeah, when you when you look at the film, clearly, especially after Mwamba, the the middle of that field, um, the short passing that fits our buckles game, that quick kind of West Coast offense, um, quick quick screens, quick slants, um, you know, a couple uh, couple skinny posts. It's obviously where he wants to live. He wants to live in the middle of the field. Uh, in terms of shutting that down, I, I'm okay with that some of the time. I think Ben don't break does does work there, um, but I think you got to vary it too because he's he's a quarterback that gets in the rhythm and also can get out of rhythm. So I, I do think you got to give them different looks. I, I don't think you can just seed the middle of the field um, like you say. Like you, whether you bring in, you know, you give them some run and you bring in somebody into that middle of the field to be a robber to kind of take that that over the linebacker spot away. Um, Going to be all over people coming out of the backfield, hands on them, redirecting them, uh, looking for, you know, alert screens, alert little quick dump offs and good tackling. You know, really what it comes down to underneath there is if you're running kind of a, even if you run like a shell, like a five yard shell and just punish those guys. They want to catch a ball, you know, they want to catch a ball two yards past the offensive line, then they should get sawed in half and see how interested they are in doing that for four quarters. Mike Hogan put out some interesting stats on Twitter today. He was just, it was just one interesting stat tidbit after another. And one that caught my eye was, you mentioned bend but don't break defense. Uh, we've, we've loved and hated that uh, for the last few seasons. 
They have been amazing this year at preventing long touchdown drives. According to Mike Hogan, they're the only team in the CFL not to have allowed a 90-yard touchdown drive. So teams starting inside their own 20, not once this season, have come all the way down to score a touchdown. And that shows you how effective the bend but don't break strategy is because you just don't win a lot of you don't win a lot of games kicking field goals in the CFL. It, now it'll definitely be harder without Mwamba in the red zone. Yeah. Because he's so huge at stopping the run in the red zone, right? You're just running into traffic down there. So that's where I think you probably need to be a little more aggressive in the middle of the field um, in terms of varying your look and not just being fine with them moving the ball between the 30s because the red zone is going to be a little going to be a little harder to be as good because he is such a major part, you know, in terms of punishing punishing that middle run and taking that middle run away. Um, you know, I'm really curious to see how, you know, like can how can they can they play tight man? I'm not sure they can if they're going to play like an underneath zone, can they really clamp down on that and and just start hitting guys at at 5 yards every time every time they catch a ball because you can see Ottawa love to do a little dump off and then try and let their guy run for 20, 25 yards. You know, they, they did that a bunch of times. And without Mwamba, I'm sure that will be the game plan once again. For the Argonauts offense, I think they're in a perfect place right now because I don't think Ottawa has any idea what Toronto is going to come out with this week. And the reason I say that is when you go back and look at all the success that Toronto had two weeks ago, against Ottawa, it was almost all to Curly Gittins Jr. And it was almost all based on uh, kind of kind of countering tendencies that Toronto had established early in the year. You could see that Ottawa was hell-bent on taking away two things. They were looking to stop Olette, and they were looking to take away those short passes to the flats to Ambles. And every time Curly Gittens Jr. caught a ball, something like that was happening. Either Olette was leaking out of the backfield into the flats and you could see like a horde of, of Ottawa defenders converging. And the same thing would happen when Markeith Ambles would do that sort of quick out to the flats. And Curly Gittens Jr. Would, would usually kind of act like he's stock blocking and then accelerate once he's passed his defender downfield and just find himself wide open. Uh, and it was just play after play of that. And so... This week, I, I think you continue those mind games a little bit, but I, I would not have a lot of Curly Gittins Jr. in my game plan this week. I actually want to go I want to go to the other side of the field because I think you're going to end up catching, I don't know who's going to be back there at safety, whether we see uh, Pruneau back there uh, again, um, who sort of finished the game last week. Uh, but I think, you're, I think you're going to see the safety giving a lot more help to uh, decide with Curly Gittins Jr. this week, which they didn't last week. Curly Gittins Jr. was consistently being lined up against Dandridge and uh, Kenna. And and Kenna got picked on a, a lot. Dandridge sort of early in the game, he got picked on by, by some of the other guys too. So I wouldn't go after them at all this week. I think you're going to get safety help to, to Kenna's side, to Dandridge's side. And I think that's where you go, Coxie and Deveris. And I think this has to be a huge week forcing them to adjust and bring that safety back to the boundary side of the field, uh, which I, I don't think they're going to want to do. I think their whole plan this week will be to drift him a little bit to the field side and have him watching Curly Gittins Jr. Because there's no way they want to allow another 161 yards passing to the Curly Gittins Jr. So, yeah, I expect a, a, a big game from Diverse Daniels. I expect a big game from from Coxey as well. And that that's exactly how I would feed it. All right, JB. It is time for one thing. Uh, after a huge streak, I don't think we converted on our one things last week. I certainly didn't with my punt return yardage request. Uh, where are you going this week with your one thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, most of what I've, I've hoped for or asked for based on a weakness they've been able to do, I, you know, I think be great to have... Um, a little more sack action coming from the linebackers, but I asked for that. So I think this week I'm going to go with it again on punt return. 
I'm not I'm not going to go, you know, through the roof and hope for a touchdown or anything like that, but I am going to ask them to have a punt return average over 10 yards. That would put, that would put them in lofty lofty top 4 in the league average. So that's what I'm looking for. I want I want over 10.0 yards punt return average. So there's your there's your reach for this guy goal. For me, it's so sad that it doesn't sound doable. I just don't think that's going to happen. It, and I know it's kind of a, a a punching bag for me. In truth, I you know even when I coach, I I don't think it actually really matters. I think if you have um, a star, great, and that that's a real weapon, then have that phase. But um, but punt return coverage is is way more important, and not fumbling. You know, if you're not getting a return, I, I don't I don't think it's it's life or death or 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 even a key component of a championship team. So I, I know it's a bit of a punching bag, but I don't uh, I don't see another area that they have significant improvement to make. So let's you know, let's shore this up if we can. I, 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 I wasn't crazy about the guys that they've tried this season. I haven't really seen anybody that um, I thought had real twitch. So, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to see it, but there it is, 10.0, gentlemen. But I, and I've said this before, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they have. They could put Gizmo back there no, in his prime, no, the, and he's going for five yards. Yeah, the, the blocking just, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I'm almost at the point where I just want them to start holding and just hope that it doesn't get called because <laughs> I, I don't know. But maybe it is. Maybe you're maybe you're right. Maybe it's best just let's secure the ball. We'll get our offense out there. It's not like it's it's not like it's not been a winning formula. No. The, the, the team's doing very well. So if you don't have a star returner and if you don't have somebody who can break who can break runs, then don't try to. You know, secure the ball and then we'll get going. Don't if you, if you're not an elite returner, don't try and do elite returner things. Catch the ball, secure the ball, we'll move on. And then that that's how I would have done it, and and that may be how they're doing it, which is fine. To me, the real value in having a big return game isn't so much the return game itself, because even even with the best return game in the league, it's not like you're getting a kick return or punt return touchdown every single game. But what it does do is it dictates how the other team is preparing and how the other team is practicing. It means they spend way more time on that phase of the game and far less time preparing their offense and preparing their defense with a finite number of minutes they spend out there in the practice field. You've got a lot more dedication to stopping this explosive returner. And that's where everyone's focus is. And I think that to me, that's the real advantage in having a return game. It's not in those long returns. It's in catching the other team slightly unprepared in the other two phases. For me, my one thing is I want to see yet another rushing touchdown. This is starting to build. I know we've had, I've been doing tracking all season long for plays inside the 25. I've got every, every, every play that the Argos have run inside the 25 I've tracked. I've tracked their running success, their passing success. And the the passing game, it's, it's actually it slipped off a little bit in the last few weeks, but the passing game has generally been very good uh, down inside the 25 in that sort of CFL red zone. Uh, for for the CFL, I take it back to the 25 because I feel like that's sort of the equivalent uh, the equivalent to inside the 20 for the NFL. And uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. That's great. His completion percentage has come down in the red zone in the last few weeks. But the rushing success has been tremendous. They have scored a rushing touchdown in four of the last five games after not having a rushing touchdown through the first half of the season. They suddenly are able to, to put together four out of five games, uh, which is going to open everything else up and it's going to make everything else better. Part of the problem the Argos have had, because their red zone efficiency hasn't been great. Bethel Thompson's play has been good in the red zone and it obviously touchdowns think to, to to interceptions has been amazing but they have settled for a lot of short field goals because of that inability to run and what scoring touchdowns on a weekly basis down there in goal to goal situations is going to do is it's going to it's going to force teams to have to over account for 
the run, and that's going to open up the pass even more. Teams right now are generally playing cover one down there, uh, and great rushing teams force you to play zero. I want to see zero because against cover zero, I love McLeod Bethel Thompson and this group of receivers. And so if that's what you get on on the five yard line, on the on the eight yard line, I think that's a touchdown pass waiting to happen. So that's a big one thing for me this week. Let's continue this streak of rushing touchdowns. Who's going to win? How is it going to end, JB? Uh, I like Toronto again. I, I would have been happy with a split if we had lost the first one, came back to win the second one. But having won the first one, I think the sweep is there. It's huge. It it basically locks in a division title um, for, for the Argos if they can win this game. And I think it is important to win this game. You look at who they have left, two against Montreal, BC, um, Edmonton, right, is the game they probably should win at. You want to lock this one away. You don't want to go into those games needing to to win three or four games. So, uh, I think Ottawa win, or I think Toronto wins. Um, Ottawa is terrible at home. If if Toronto can get off to a good start, that that crowd will turn on Ottawa in a heartbeat. And I like uh, Toronto to win twenty eight fourteen. Big. Yes, yeah, similar to my thoughts on this, and there should be a pretty good Toronto contingent. I know a lot of people that are traveling out to Ottawa for this game, and that's that's going to be cool to see uh, a lot of double blue represented there at TD Place. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a pretty big win too. I don't have the same margin as you. I've got 30 to 19 uh, as the score here, but I don't feel like this game is ever going to be in question. I think Toronto comes in, they've shown the ability to take care of business. And again, the mood at practice was all business. Guys were excited to be back after a bye week. And you don't, it, it's not always like that. It did not feel like that in 2019. You know, after a bye week, it didn't feel like everyone was excited to be back again. But uh, yeah, you feel that this year. Guys are, yeah. are full they're ready toronto is a better team toronto is a team that has legitimate great cup aspirations and therefore they should be able to to take care of a team that has good players on it but is not a playoff team looking at the betting odds this week was interesting because toronto is the overall favorite to end up in the great cup and that's a little bit misleading because winnipeg's road is more difficult but Toronto is basically all but clinched first place. So they've basically got one win to go to get into that Grey Cup game. And it's, you know, that's, that's, likely, that's likely a game against Montreal. And whereas you look at, at what the West is having to deal with, the path to the Grey Cup is, is probably, well, probably, it is more difficult. And so it's just kind of funny to, to think with all of the doubters that have surfaced this season, all the questions that people had early in the year, why is McLeod Bethel Thompson out there? Why is Coach Dinwiddie coaching? And, you know, we, we were able to sort of uh, shrug that off most of the season, but it was certainly a, a consistent voice that we were hearing all year long. It's gone away a little bit in those last few weeks. And now here the Argos are as odds on favorite of being in the Grey Cup game. So uh, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, they they have more than Grey Cup uh, appearance aspirations at this point. So yeah, they got to take care of business against a team that can't win in their home stadium. So Toronto, 30 to 19. Let's get to our world famous fantasy advice, JB. It finally fell for us last week. We we had a bad week and we've had a couple bad weeks and squeaked out wins. We finally lost, breaking breaking our streak in our in our pool uh, with the other CFL podcasts uh, around the country. So we need a bounce back week and it's tough. We, we had trouble last week because with three games, you never know how it's going to go. And we really didn't have anyone playing in that Hamilton Winnipeg game where billions of fantasy points were put up. And that's what ultimately cost us a win. So our strategy this week is going to be pretty dependent on BC and Toronto. You mentioned earlier to me that you feel that there's some value in in taking Argonauts. You still feel that that's the case? Yeah, I, I think that uh, CFL fantasy undervalues Argonauts uh, and have all season. I, I think well, some of it comes from the number of wide receivers they have, so it's very difficult to pin down who is going to have a big game. So they kind of split the difference between them all. So there's always value in the wide receivers. Uh, the Argos defense has been undervalued as a, a defense that, that's pretty decent at turning the ball over and, and keeping things in check. And McLeod, 
has not been one of the most expensive quarterbacks, despite statistically probably being the number two quarterback in the CFL. So I don't know um, if if uh, the guys at three down are running the CFL fantasy or, or what's happening there. But <laughs> and I, I would say that the Winnipeg uh, running backs and Toronto Argonauts uh, have been great value. And I think the key to our fantasy uh, domination. Yeah, I think it has been a, a big part of it. And this week, I wanted to find a way for us to get McLeod Bethel-Thompson out there. It just didn't make sense at the end of the day. The the combinations we tried, uh, there, was either, there was either way too much money left over and not enough skill position strength or... Um, or, you know, you, you just have to rejig it in a way that we, we weren't really happy with our receivers. So uh, we ended up going with Vernon Adams as our quarterback. We're putting a lot of faith in the BC Lions this week. They looked good. Vernon Adams had a really nice game at Calgary. And BC, we know how well they can play at home. If this BC Lions team gets some confidence and comes back home to BC looking even uh, like a fraction of what they look like with Nathan Rourke under center... And I think there's a good chance they do because there were there were little glimpses of that last week. Then I think this could be a big day for us. So Vernon Adams at seven thousand. That's it's almost two thousand dollars less than you're playing for McLeod Bethel Thompson, and 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 even he's a bargain. So you know if you're going if you're going for you're looking at quarterbacks, it's uh, you know I, I'm not paying almost nine thousand for Dane Evans. I don't think we're going to see a repeat performance like that. Jake Mayer uh, again for for almost two thousand more than you're paying for Vernon Adams it just doesn't make sense. So Vernon Adams is the only quarterback that really does make sense this week. Running backs were, were going uh, bargain here. So AJ Olette, uh, not the bargain he was a few weeks ago, but still 5,700 for a starting running back who gets a lot of points because he's such a good receiver. And so if he can even get three or four catches, that's such a big boost for a running back of that price. And Walter Fletcher for Montreal seems to have reclaimed that top running back spot. And so I'm hoping they're, they've been so frustrating all year uh, in Montreal because they keep rotating who they have in there, uh, whether it's uh, Justin Ant- Antwi or or Walter Fletcher, whoever it is on any given week. But I think it's going to be Walter Fletcher. I expect him to be the lead back. And I do think Montreal is going to win that game. So I like him for 3700 Anytime you get a starting running back at that price, that's great. For the receivers, we're going heavy BC. Brian Burnham and Lucky Whitehead. Lucky Whitehead, he's he's fired up for this game. I expect a really nice game from him. And Brian Burnham is just so consistent. So 9100 for Whitehead, 8400 for Burnham. That's where all our money's going. And then our flex, uh, Demonte Coxie, uh, still a huge bargain, 2500 um, it's going to be interesting in a couple of weeks time. Actually, I think after, I think it's, I think it's after this week where, yeah, I think it's after this week where Cam Phillips can return to the Toronto Argonauts. It's going to be interesting to see how that shakes up the lineup because coxie has been playing so well. It's just going to depend whether or not they counted. Remember, Cam Phillips got hurt during pregame warmup at Hamilton, and that would be six games ago after this game. But I don't know if they count that first Hamilton game or not, or if he's got one more week to go. But yeah, Coxie has been wonderful for that price. He's good for a few catches a game. He had that explosive catch and run last game that almost turned into a touchdown. He was down at the one yard line, and that turned into an Olet touchdown run. And then for defense, Really only a couple options here with the money we have left. Uh, Montreal at 3226 is the best defense we can afford. And that leaves us with uh, just $75 left in, in our budget. So I feel good about this. For a three-game lineup, I think this is pretty strong. But if Calgary shuts down BC, we are doomed. <laughs> All right, JB, let's get to our picks. How did your picks go last week, JB? <laughs> um... It was not a shining week. We've had some internal discussions. Um, some people were let go. Um, so we're, we're ready for this week. We're ready to, to shake off uh, what was really uh, an internal issue. For those keeping score at home, JB was 0-3 last week. Uh, I was a robust 2-1. and uh, My record is now 39-19 well, and on the year. Calgary game was outrageous. <laughs> it's 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 the final score that counts. You're, you're still above 500, 30 and 28. 
So uh, yeah, you need a rebound week this week again with with three games on the docket. So also the Rough uh, Rider game was outrageous. Both those games were outrageous. Yeah, the the Rough Rider game was outrageous, and that I felt like should have been that should have been a, a three and zero week for me. But uh, yeah, you, you got to give it to Edmonton; they found a way, <laughs> and they do. Like they're they're four and four on the road, which is is ridiculous. So Hamilton at Montreal. Um, I've already said I like I like Montreal in this contest. I think they're the better football team. They they wouldn't have been last week because Hamilton would have beat anybody on earth last week. But uh, I just think that was a I think that's a one game thing. I think that may be it, and uh, that may be all you see out of Hamilton the rest of the year. I hope that that's what we're talking about. So I've got Montreal winning. Where are you going? I've been trying. You know, Montreal obviously is much better at home. Um, but I like Hamilton. I think Hamilton is fighting for their lives and I'm going to, I'm going to give Hamilton, I I think Hamilton and Montreal are a coin flip at the best of times. And I think Hamilton comes in with a bit of swagger and, uh, I I think Hamilton gets it done against Montreal and we have to deal with stupid Hamilton still in the rear view for another couple of weeks. Toronto at Ottawa. We've both got Toronto picked for that one. Uh, how are you feeling about Calgary at BC? Ugh. Another one. I don't. Uh, you know. I don't know what to make of <clears throat> these guys. BC at home. Um, I, I like the Lions at home. I think that every week that they have Vernon Adams, they're going to get a little bit better. They're still pretty healthy. They still have the most weapons in the league uh, offensively. Uh, I like BC at home. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. So it's really just the Montreal-Hamilton game we we see differently. And, and I could see that game going either way as well. So this should be a really nice week of football. I think all three of these games are, are going to be good ones. I, I expect the, the only one not to be a game, I think, might be the Toronto-Ottawa one. But we've, we've said that many times before and and been wrong on that. So, so who knows? Either way, I'm looking forward to an exciting weekend of CFL football. Well, that will just about do it for us on this edition of the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough for JB. This This is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Go Toronto Argos, go, go, go. Pull together, fight the foe, foe, foe.